0: Welcome back to Hermeneutica, etc., where we discuss philosophy, theology, and so forth. I'm your host, Jonathan Dansby, and this will be a supplemental episode uh, for the class that uh, I'm teaching on the Creed, the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed of 381. Um, So if you have not listened to session six or some of the other sessions, probably should go ahead and listen to those this will make a little bit more sense in that context Um, on the other hand if you're just reading the chapter this might be a quick and dirty uh, summary uh, to help get you through the chapter Um, I hope this is helpful Um, I'll keep this intro short and sweet like subscribe share uh, with your friends if you find this helpful uh, comment even uh, rate the podcast etc If you don't really care for it, just leave it alone. Don't have to do anything with it. Uh, I appreciate um, those of you who are interested in pursuing this and have stuck around for the classes, and uh, those of you who in the future um, come and stumble across these, I really hope you enjoy it. Uh, Thanks again. This is Hermeneutica, etc. Enjoy the episode. All right, in this uh, supplement, all I really want to do is go through um, and say a little bit more explicitly what the creed is and what it does. So those are the two parts, I'll kind of try and break it up evenly into those two parts. Uh, in the, <clears throat> the first part, uh, uh, what the creed is, uh, we're given four Uh, things that the creed is. It's a profession of faith, it's a rule of faith, it's a definition of faith, and a symbol of faith. So we're going to go through these uh, more or less sequentially, but as you may remember from the first part of the uh, class session, uh, all four of these are interrelated. Um, and I think uh, Johnson mentions that in the, the chapter, I might be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure he mentions that. Uh, but he didn't really spell it out. So I, I thought it would be helpful to, um, uh, as I did earlier in this episode, to um, take a few examples and, and spell out what, how they are related. Um, and, and a few take a few cases. For how that uh, how that works. So, as a profession of faith, the creed provides a statement of personal and communal commitment. Uh, personal because it involves um, that I I'm the one making the claim um, that we believe this. I'm including myself in the we. Uh, And at the same time, I'm saying we believe this. I'm um, ascribing to the church an authority um, that is greater than simply the sum of its parts. Um, So that there's, at the same time, both a communal and a personal element uh, to this uh, this creed. And we, we actually see that, if I can take a second to jump back all the way to chapter one, uh, we actually see that when uh, Johnson is talking about the Shema. Yeah, here we go. Um, that it's at the same time a call to communal commitment. Um, Hear, O Israel, uh, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. So that in that rendering of the last little phrase, the Lord alone, that tags on and supports the claim that the Lord is our God. Um, there's a communal, uh, even the individuals uh, reciting it, they're reciting it together as the people of God. Um but it's also personal. Uh in that the the second part uh major part of the Shema uh deals with love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, uh and strength. Um <clears throat> mind. I I forget exactly how it changes uh, in the Gospels. There's one more thing added that Jesus adds in there. Um, but this, there's this idea of allegiance, uh, a call to exclusivity um, uh, that is also in that. So it's personal um, in that it touches on the things that have to do with my life, but my life is necessarily situated in a community's life uh i am a part of a particular people uh of a worshiping community Uh, i'm a part of a particular neighborhood i work with a particular group of people every day for my job or whatever it is um so it's at the same time personal and communal uh, and it's a call for exclusivity. So just a recall from, from chapter one, uh, for example, the creed, the Christian creed, the Nicene Constance and Apolitan creed does the same thing. Uh, it's a call to personal commitment, to communal commitment, and to exclusivity of allegiance. Um, <clears throat> All right. So, getting back to chapter two, uh, when he he says on page forty one that the creed provides a statement of personal, personal and communal commitment. Um, some of the phrases he works with from the New Testament, anyway. Um, is that the language of confession, profession, and bearing witness all work together um, to flesh out that personal and communal commitment, uh, what's involved there. Um, For example, those who confess the Son of Man, this is in Matthew 10, who confess the Son of Man, those he will also confess uh, at the the end, uh, which suggests both recognition and fidelity or faithfulness. Um, faithfulness to the son of man, fidelity toward the son of man will be reciprocated, so to speak. Um, believers confess that, in other words, there's a, there's um, a little bit different use here. So it's, they confess some content, they speak it, that Jesus is Lord uh, that the that Jesus Messiah is God's incarnate son. I can find that in uh, Romans 10, 1 John 2 and 4, and 2 John 7, for example. Um, Christian belief is profession. It is confession. Uh, we can see that in 2 Corinthians 9, for example, uh, Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4. Um. But profession and confession is also called bearing witness, uh, so that you stand, whoever's confessing, whoever's professing, uh, proclaiming, stands bearing witness, pointing at something. Um, uh, John the Baptist is the typical uh, witness um, for this. We, we see it. He's the one who points to Jesus in the Gospel of John and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, Just just an example. Um, But there's also the language uh, comes in of uh, pistis, uh, Greek pistis or pistewing to believe. um, And the noun pistis, um, faith, belief, trust, um uh and the latin uh form fides and credere um uh, he, he makes the the note that in greek there's only one root that communicates all of these different types of things but in latin and in english for example you have fides and credere um faith and to believe are different things Um, and we have those, uh, in English as well, faith and believe, um, from the, I don't want to get too far into the particulars of his argument. Um, some of what he talks about, um, But he does make a distinction between, the, uh, a, a distinction in Latin, um, in mainly Western theology, I would imagine, uh, between fides qua and fides qua. So the difference is, uh, fides qua uh, is belief that. So we believe that something is the case. In other words, uh, for example, um, that God exists, or we believe that God is one. Um, Fides qua, on the other hand, is belief by which we respond to God. So one is belief that God exists, or belief that Jesus is the Christ, uh, the Son of the Living God, as Peter's confession makes clear. Um, The other, fides qua, is belief... By which we respond to God's uh, movement, um, what God is doing um, in us, around us, etc. So, a a neat little distinction um, that he makes there in terms of different kinds of belief uh, or of different kinds of faith. Um, And Sort of slipping back into the, the Greek uh, pistis and pistuin, um, it encompasses faith, belief, trust, obedience, endurance, loyalty, faithfulness, uh, fidelity, uh, allegiance. All of those are, are wrapped up in pistis and pistuin. Um, but those sort of get split up in Latin and English. Um, so hope that's a little bit of a helpful distinction. He does say one thing, um, that the profession of faith is not, um, the whole story. It's not the whole faith, uh, so to speak. But I do want to say, sort of in conversation with him, that it truthfully tells the whole story, right? It might uh, might not um, be explicit on all of the things that we would say go into an accounting of Christian faith, which is the task we call theology. Um, It doesn't contain everything. Uh, It's not exhaustive. But um, we, I would want to say that it does truthfully tell the whole story. That's sort of the zoomed out um, view from 30,000 feet. This is the whole story. Uh, and there are discernible features uh, that must be included in any uh, finer, detailed telling of the whole faith. And the creed lists out what those details should be. Um, so that's the profession of faith or the confession of faith. Um, uh, it's limited uh, in scope somewhat, but it truthfully tells the whole story. All right, so the rule of faith or the regula fide. as its Latin phrase would um, come to be. Um, And as the rule of faith, the creed provides a measure or norm for Christian identity, particularly how Christians, one, should read their sacred texts, and two, for how they should live. Uh, So this is sort of foreshadowing some of the things that the creed does, and we'll get to those in a minute um but the fun the important thing here for right now is that it provides a measure or norm for christian identity um to lay out uh, a length or a ruler is to say if i want one foot i come to this mark and the measuring uh the distance between the marks has been agreed upon, um, so that I can go to any ruler, I can go to any tape measure, and I can mark out a foot. Um, it's the the standard by which other things are measured, um, according to which other things are compared, uh, to decide the orthodoxy of certain claims that are attempts um certain certain attempts uh through christian theological discourse and grammar uh to make certain claims about who god is how the world uh is how it works etc um so the first thing it does the uh the rule of faith the regular fide regulates so to speak how christians read their scriptures uh and we see this come up with uh uh, the marcionite heresy uh and irenaeus's response saint irenaeus of Lyon's response to marcionite heresies for example to uh, exclude uh, all the Old Testament books, as Marcion claimed, Irenaeus' response was to say, no, these, these truly tell us of who God is. They don't tell us of, uh, of there being two gods, but of one God with one intent, uh, whose son uh, has come and has been revealed and has uh, sparked uh, the writing of the New Testament's uh, documents as witnesses um, uh, to that reality. Uh, and so Irenaeus responds, uh, chiefly as a sort of biblical theologian. Uh, he's responding to the, the claims of Marcion that, uh, the Old Testament, um, and parts of the New Testament need to be rejected, uh, precisely because they don't truly tell us uh, about the god Jesus comes revealing um, and the Regula fide uh, Irenaeus says uh in which is a sort of short form for a version so to speak of of the creed the Regula fide is the key to scripture like a um, like a key on a map right it tells you kind of shows you the outlines so to speak uh the measure um you know how far 10 kilometers is that's in the key how far five miles is that's located in the key so you can use that key and you can measure out different parts on the map and you can figure out how far things are uh, different places are apart from each other uh, you can identify where certain mountain ranges are it depends on the map uh, if it's a topographical map you can you can tell different things about uh, the the uh, altitude uh, of certain places. so the regular fide day is the key uh, so to speak of how Christians uh, read scripture um, but it also regulates how Christians live in the world. Um, it measures uh, or orients Christians' posture or stance um, toward the world, uh, in the world, and it reframes uh, presuppositions in order to act according to Scripture. Right? If the if the creed is helping us um, with an appropriate measure of the a reading of Scripture, an appropriate reading of Scripture, then the creed also because it's doing that it helps uh, line out some of the presuppositions that christians should have and should uh, bear in mind as as they make ethical decisions how is it that god being the creator of all that is Uh, things seen and things unseen, how does that shape the way we engage with our neighbors? How does that shape the way we engage with the world? Well, the creed doesn't say what those implications are, but you have to start from that point. If you're going to be a, a professing Christian, if you're going to hold on to the profession of faith, you have to reckon with the claim that God is the maker of all that is which means that God has not created a bad world. God has created a good world. The material world is not bad. The material world is good, broken, but good, and in need of care, and redemption, and renewal. So um, it shapes uh, the the presuppositions of how Christians act in the world. So that's regular fide. Uh, the definition of faith, the creed as definition of faith provides boundaries of Christian belief and identity. Uh, it's the uh, hedge around a garden, so to speak. Um, so I had, I had mentioned how the creed as regular fide is related to the creed as definition of faith. Um That the one provides the measure, uh, the regular fide, and the definition of faith uses that measure, employs that measure in order to set off, to measure off the limits of Christian, of faithful Orthodox Christian belief and practice. Okay, so it's part again to reiterate how they're uh, how they're related. Um. But it's uh, sort of digging down into that a little bit more that in reciting the creed, um, we're committing to this story. We're committing to these things rather than to another story, to other things. The one who is confessing the creed, making the profession confession of faith is marked as part of this confessing community Right, the personal and the communal, and the church, uh, the the confessing community, which is the church, rather than another community, uh, and the same goes in the reverse direction. Um, it's it's um, coming back to what, something I had said earlier: uh, to confess Jesus to be the Messiah and Lord excluded others from that same designation right to claim that jesus is lord is by implication to say that caesar is not right um necessarily uh, excludes certain things from being affirmed um, by definition that's why it's called the definition of faith uh another Some other examples of this would be, um, you know, in the response to Marcion, for example, uh, it required the affirmation of Jesus, Father, um, and Jesus, the agent uh, of the Father, as being the creator of all things, the loving Father being the creator of all things visible and invisible. We had, uh, recall that from just a couple of minutes ago. The response to arius another example required the affirmation of jesus being of one substance of one being or essence with the father okay that's to say one thing and not another thing Um, it marks out of bounds saying that jesus is a creature Uh, so like uh, jehovah's witnesses for example uh, their claims about jesus would be excluded from Christian theological grammar, which is why I don't think it's, uh, technically proper, um, uh, in terms of the specific ideas and judgments that they're making to call Jehovah's witnesses, Christians, uh, because according to the, the witness of Christian history and the, the Christian theological grammar, they're actually saying something heretical. Um, so, rabbit hole for another day, perhaps, but I, that's a, a modern example of the Aryan uh, heresy. Um, and along with the Aryan heresy, you know, the issue, so this is on page 51 in um, Johnson's book. He says, philosophical language entered the creed's description of the son because the challenge to the son's uh, son's divinity had been raised in philosophical terms. And I, I think that's an important point for um another reason. Um that it's not they're using different terms to make the same conceptual uh to, to make the same judgment. They're using different conceptual terms to render the same theological judgment that Jesus is the divine son uh of the father. Um and if they had to use philosophical terms or borrow terms to make that definition possible, then that's what they needed to do. Um, all right, let's see. So, so it's almost like um, uh, the uh, definition of faith, almost like the rules of a game they distinguish uh, one game from another by obeying these rules, by abiding by these rules of engagement, you're necessarily not playing another game. So it sets off the limits of the game that you're playing over against other games. Uh, And so the creed provides the rules of the game, the game or the grammar of Christian theology and belief, distinguishing it from other sorts of theological games. We might, say uh, to keep the analogy going Uh, this does not however exhaust the possibilities of how the game or grammar of christian theology belief is put to use right it's not exhaustive in how we can apply uh, these um, implications or the assumptions uh, um, sort of underneath the surface of the creed it takes interpretation it takes practice it takes reflection Um, but the creed itself does not exhaust those possibilities. And so while it is a def- definition of faith, the creed does not define God uh precisely because we don't have the kind of vantage point um that would make that possible. Uh so he talks about um uh I think in this chapter and in a couple other places the the limitations of human language and the need to employ uh, cataphatic uh language and apophatic language. In other words, positive language, what we can say truly is the case uh, because it has been revealed to us, uh, because we have used the light of reason uh, which God has given us to discover what really is the case uh, concerning uh, the the divine life, how it interacts with human beings, um, etc. But apophatically, we can also say... Um, uh, helpfully, what is not the case and, or uh, not merely what is not the case, but what is beyond what is actually uh, outside of the bounds of our cap- capacity to know uh, in a positive way, in a constructive way, um, what is the case. Uh, so we saw that with um, Pseudo-Dionysius, uh, what is beyond um, isn't exactly what is not Um but because it is beyond uh we can't always pin down and say what it is um, so that's uh then that's where the need for uh analogy for uh, both cataphatic and apophatic or positive and negative theology enter the christian theological grammar um, because we need uh we need both of them because of uh, the limits of human language all right so the creed as symbol of faith so as a symbol of faith the creed provides a sign of reception or of membership and a way of affirming the community's shared story uh so from the greek uh, symbol from uh, Cymbalin, um it's used, and it's use, it's Greek use, for the joining together of two objects uh, as a sign of reception. Um, we can think of uh, the exchange of gifts in uh, when people make a covenant, when they sign a treaty. Um, when we bring together an object uh, and words. Um, whenever we say the words, the object comes to mind, or whenever we mess with the object, the words come to mind so that it symbolizes some new thing. I'd use the example of water in, in the class. Uh, but we can do the same thing with the stones, right? From, from Joshua, uh, chapter four, I think the standing stones, they're just ordinary stones to begin with, but when they're taken out of the river, and set up on the other side of the Jordan. And the words are put to them, the story is literally etched in them, they become symbols. Um, They signify something new. uh, Or they signify something beyond them being mere stones, mere rocks. Um, They're pointing beyond themselves to a reality. So that that, that, uh, bleeds into what I was just saying about uh, apophatic theology, apophatic language, um, is that those stones point beyond the reality um, that they bear witness to, right? So the profession of faith comes in at this point, definition of faith comes in at this point. Um, So that's just an example. Um, So the creed as a symbol of faith was given or handed over, and that's where we get uh, tradition, traditore, uh, to hand on, uh, to those who were initiated through baptism as a sign or symbol of their entrance into the people of God. Um, And this is a sign shared among the members of the community of faith, the words that are spoken point to and participate in the reality they communicate all right so as a symbol these words um, are not themselves the reality they point beyond uh, uh, the mere stringing together of words they point beyond it to the capital r reality of which they speak right the one capital o one uh, with whom christians have to do principally in the person of Jesus, the, the son, the second person of the Trinity. Uh, but uh, ultimately with the, the triune God, um, the fullness of that life, that's where the creed is pointing. Um, so it's not itself the reality, it's pointing to that reality. So the creed is a symbol in that respect. Uh, and so following from these, uh, these two insights, the combination of gestures and words draw us into the reality that they point to. So not only is the creed pointing to it, by our reciting these words, we are being drawn into the reality to which they direct our attention. Um, da da Uh, again, um, he he talks about the limitations of human language, um, and the necessity to talk about myth, um, not in the way uh, that we typically think about myths, like the Greek uh, mythology or Roman mythology or uh, mythologies from various cultures, Babylonian mythology, Phoenician uh, the, uh, mythology, as if these, um, uh, as if we use myth to say something that. Um, uh, this is just something that never happened it's not true. Um, but he wants to, to point out that all religious language, um, uh, all properly religious language claims more than it can actually demonstrate, uh, define or understand, which is why we would call religious language, theological language. So we would call it mythic in a way. If we're telling the story, right, if we come back to the Christian story and we're reading scripture, the, the story of scripture is the Christian mythos, all right? It is the, the, the symbolic structuring of the world in such a way that it tells a story to point beyond itself to the, the personal God who has set that whole story in motion and is keeping it from falling apart and is directing it to its good end. Okay. So he says, uh, this is on page 54, if you're following along. Myth is language seeking to express a truth about the world and humans that lies beyond what we can test and prove. So this is also why faith, the language of faith, the grammar of faith is not the grammar of science. It's not the method of science um, or a modern science uh, as we know uh, today. Um myth, um, uh, conversely, seeks to express the basic truths of human existence. Where do we come from? Why are we here? And where are we going? Without such mythic language, Christians could not say anything about the world's origin or destiny in God. Myth finds its natural expression in narrative. And the creed itself tells a simple story um so two things to note the narrative structure of myth requires a narrative structure in order for us to to get at these things why because stories move us narratives uh compel our imaginations they engage our imaginations um scientific textbooks don't not really um And the other thing to notice is is the philosophical or theological nature of mythic language. And so pulling those two together, narrative and theology or narrative and philosophy, you're asking and answering those significant philosophical questions by telling a story, right? Uh, And that's really significant um, uh, for other things in, in philosophy and theology. Um, so we, we've already talked about, um, cataphatic language, apophatic language and analogical language, which holds those two together, uh, positive and negative, uh, analogical languages, language, um, we might say, uh, that we can say things truly of God, but only, only, uh, by way of analogy, right that there are limits of our language. And as the symbol, though I would I think I actually disagree with with Johnson here. I would not want to put the creed, um, he he calls the creed a series of critical theological concepts. Um, I want to I want to argue with this for a second. Uh, the creed, um, I think I agree with his main point. Uh, but I don't think it should be in the the creed um, as a symbol of faith. I think it ought to go under rule of faith or definition of faith, um, and not symbol of the uh, as a creed is a symbol of faith. Um, so one of the other things I want to argue with with Johnson about is. The use of critical theological concepts, um, I think it's actually more accurate and more helpful to exchange concepts for judgments. That the creed is a series of critical theological judgments, um, and that those judgments have been rendered in various conceptual terms throughout the breadth of Scripture and throughout the course of Christian theological reflection uh, th- for the history of of uh, the church's reflection on scripture. Um, so I would exchange Christian theological concepts, I would exchange the word concepts for judgments. Um, and this idea is coming from a scholar, uh, David Yeago, uh, Y-E-A-G-O, Yeago. Uh, and he's talking about the difference um, between uh concepts and judgments uh, and he says the same judgments can be rendered in different theo- in in different conceptual terms so it's not like you're saying the exact same thing but you're saying the same sort of thing even if you say it in two different ways um so i think that's a really important part uh one point, one point, significant point that I would um, push back on Johnson and actually disagree with him, um, because I think there's a better way to talk about this, uh, what he's trying to, to get across. So, uh, barring those bits of argument, uh, the creed as a series of theological, um, critical theological judgments, uh, they help us read scripture right um uh we can also take these judgments and and say okay what follows uh logically from these what are the implications of these judgments um and on the other side you know uh before them what were the assumptions what are the assumptions underneath uh, or before these judgments and what are the implications after these judgments um and that's one way that christian theological uh the Christian theological tradition has reflected not only on the creed but on scripture and has developed a very rich tradition of um, uh, moral Christian moral teaching, uh, Christian ethics. Uh, so I'll leave that point there. We'll go on to uh, the very short um, uh, second part of what the creed does so we've touched on this some uh but i'll run through all of them um very briefly the creed narrates the christian myth uh it interprets scripture it constructs a world it guides christian practices and it prepares a worshiping people um so this is somewhat, a, I guess, a bit of a summary of the things that we've already talked about some. Um, but the Creed tells, on the one hand, how God entered the human story and, on the other, how God has made it possible for humans to enter his own life. Uh, very simply, that if you're going to narrate the Christian myth in a nutshell, that's what it's saying, and the Creed does that. All right? tells us where we came from, tells us who we are, um, why we're here, and it tells us where we're going. Uh, The creed interprets scripture. So again, think of the the critical theological judgments, um, the creed as this series of critical theological judgments. Um, The creed summarizes the story of scripture uh, and guides proper readings of that story. Uh, it's not exhaustive, right? The creed is not exhaustive. It doesn't tell, it doesn't retell every single word of scripture, but it points to the heart of the matter. Okay, if you're getting down to brass tacks, this is really what the story of scripture is pointing to. This is what the story of scripture is trying to communicate. Uh, and that's a Christian theological assumption, presupposition, conclusion, judgment that our Jewish brothers and sisters would not share. Uh, they they don't share that assumption. They don't come to the same conclusion. They have very different readings of the Old Testament. Um, it's not to say they're all bad. Some of the my best teachers have been Jewish. Uh, and it just goes to show that they've been reading the book, the Old Testament, a lot longer than Christians have. And that we have a lot to learn from them. Um, but it's a different telling. Uh, And the the creed uh, sums up that different telling. Uh, The creed constructs a world. Uh, So, following from these, that it narrates the Christian myth, that it interprets scripture, the creed interprets the world. Or, better, it shapes the way we see, the way we interact, the way we engage with the world. Okay. Uh, The creed's claims about the world really um how the world really is they compete with other interpretive claims about the world right we might think of realism and relativism or uh realism and idealism uh, uh materialist versions nihilist versions of the way the world is um objectivist versions subjectivist versions uh consumerist versions utilitarian versions um the list can go on right the creed competes with them it's telling a rival story of how the world is Uh, that the world is not fundamentally one of lack um, but of abundance of variety Um, that it's not fundamentally built on competition but cooperation Um, uh, of love and mutual respect of um, genuine sharing etc Uh, those kinds of things. So uh, the creed constructs briefly, uh, but it constructs a world and and shapes the way we engage the world. And so it guides Christian practices. Uh, The creed provides a bridge between the complex witness of scripture and the moral lives of believers. And so we might say biblical politics and biblical ethics are implicit in the creed. Um, And last, the creed prepares the worshiping people. Um, So the creed is recited after the liturgy of the word, but before the liturgy of the Eucharist, leading the people from the scriptures to the sacrament, imprinting on them, the myth and vision of the former of the scriptures while preparing them to receive and to live the mystery of the latter of the sacrament so that's my rendering um my kind of summation of what he's saying um and i think that that captures uh that the what the creed's doing right it's gathering up the scriptures and the proclamation of the gospel and it's pointing beyond itself to the reality of God with us in the Eucharist. Uh, So by doing this, this is quote from page 64. uh, So by doing this, the creed reinforces, or the recitation of the creed, reinforces the Christian symbolic world in which the sharing of life leads to greater and richer life. It both leads believers to the celebration of the Eucharistic mystery and directs them to live in ways fitting of the mystery of the Eucharist. In short, the creed helps create each week and actively, uh, an actively committed people prepared to enter together into the mystery that shapes and nourishes its common life. I, th- I think those are basically the last words of the chapter. Um, and that really sums up both what the creed is and what it does um all of these things it's the profession of faith the rule of faith the definition of faith uh the symbol of faith uh that it narrates the christian myth that interprets scripture constructs the world we live in the world we imagine Uh, it guides christian practices and it prepares the worshiping people so uh if you've followed this long. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, Wanted to try and nail down this chapter so we can move on uh, in the class and uh, get into uh, the commentary that um, he really gets into in the second major portion uh, of the book. Uh, All right, that's where I'll leave it. Thanks. Hey there, if you made it all the way through the the supplemental episode, uh, thanks for sticking around. Again, I hope it was helpful to you. Um, uh, Getting down to the brass tacks of what the creed is and what it does can be really helpful uh, for our engaging um, and and really making it practical, um, bringing it down, so to speak, from um, the abstract uh, so to speak in quotes down to the, the concrete ways that we engage the world and live our lives. So I hope, um, again, this episode has been helpful to you. Um, again, like subscribe, share, um, uh, write the podcast comment, what have you. Be sure to check out my, um, uh, my Christian toolbox page on my blog. Uh, you can reach the blog at hermeneuticaetc.wordpress.com. And to get to that specific page, you can go, um, if you want to, you can find it there. If you want to go to the webpage, if you want to go straight to the resources, uh, you can do uh, hermeneuticaetc.wordpress.com slash Christian dash toolbox slash and that's it that's all i gotta do all i gotta type in to get to a growing uh curated uh basically an annotated bibliography of things i think are helpful for people exploring digging down deep into the church's great conversation uh that it's been having for the last two thousand years so if you're interested in exploring um uh what i've come to call the Christian theological grammar of, um, the, the Christian faith, then by all means, these are some great resources to start with. Uh, so thanks again for tuning in. We will see you next. Well, I won't see you. You'll hear me next time on Hermeneutica, etc where we talk about theology, philosophy, and so forth. Peace.